information about our ministry, go to jwaller.com. That will make you happy. The only thing that can make you happy. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 7 says this. Follow along on the screens if you don't have your Bible. But what things were gained to me? These I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And I count them as rubbish. That I might gain Christ. And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ Jesus. The righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Psalms 32, verses 1 through 5 in the Living Bible. What happiness, what happiness for those, who have, for those whose guilt has been forgiven. What, what joy when sins are covered over. What relief for those who have confessed their sins and God has cleared their record. There was a time when I wouldn't admit what a sinner I was, but my dishonesty made me miserable and filled my days with frustration. All day and all night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water on a sunny day until I finally admitted all my sins. I admitted them to you and stopped trying to hide them. I said to myself, I will confess them to the Lord. And you forgave me. And all my guilt is now gone. The one thing that will make you happy. Grab hands with your neighbor if you can real quick and let's pray together and believe God. Father, I thank you that this word does not fall on deaf ears. I pray that it falls on good ground and bears a harvest in our life 30, 60, and 100 fold. There are people in this room this morning that need to be happy. Make them happy. Make them laugh again as we live and learn how to walk in the happy life. In Jesus' name we pray. Give God a thunderous praise in this house. You may be seated. To live a happy life. How many want to live a happy life? Let me see your hand. To live a happy life, you have to stop taking condemnation. Romans 8 and 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation. To those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Imagine if I was to give you a cup of Clorox, and I was to tell you to drink that Clorox. No matter how good of a salesman I am, how many know you're not going to drink that Clorox? Because you know it's poison. No matter what I say, you're not going to take a sip of the Clorox because you know what it will do to your physical body. Even if you don't know what it will do to your physical body, you at least know it's not going to be good for it. And yet many of us are sipping condemnation day in and day out. We know it's bad for us. We know that Jesus has delivered us from it. And yet we keep taking poison into our spirit 
But God wants to redeem your life. And God wants to set you free from condemnation. You've heard me say it before. Relationship must come before transformation. Not transformation before relationship. Let me explain. Many Christians think I've got to get my life fixed. And then I can have a relationship with Jesus. That I've got to be transformed or changed before I can have a fulfilling relationship with God. They have transformation before relationship. But that's not how the kingdom of God works. The kingdom of God works as relationship and then transformation. That God loves you and there's nothing you can do about it. That if God had a wallet, your picture would be in it. That God wants to have a relationship with you because it's out of that relationship that your life is transformed. You cannot change without Jesus Christ. You cannot change without a relationship with God. As Andrew Murray would say, the school of obedience is starting a divine relationship with your creator. And once you have that relationship, you will now begin to walk in obedience, not the other way around. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Not don't fulfill the lust of the flesh so you can walk in the Spirit. He says, no, I want you to get this right. It's relationship first. It's Jesus first. It's coming to church while everything in your life is still messed up. It's praying to God when you're not sure exactly if you're doing it right. It's loving on God and you're not sure whether you're supposed to raise your hand, you're supposed to raise your right hand, left hand, both hands. You know, goalposts. You can tell because when people start out, they start out about down here. Amen. Praise God down here. And then they carry the TV set, you know, and then they get out here to the crucifix. Before long, we get them to the goalposts. How many know what I'm talking about? (laughs) It's relationship and then transformation. We so easily take the condemnation of the devil. We so easily want to feel bad about our life and what we're not and where we messed up and the mistakes of life. But I'm glad I serve a God that loves me despite my mistakes. I'm glad I serve a God that takes all of me, the good of me and the bad of me, that he's the God of Jacob and he's the God of Israel. He's not just the God of the good of me, the prince of God. He's the God of the swindler and the cheat, the Jacob part of me, that he doesn't just love the king in me. He loves the kid in me, that he loves me despite my problems, that even when I sell, amen, my birthright for a pot of porridge, he still loves me and he still helps me and he still picks me up and he still works in my life. Is there any Anybody in here that's not perfect and you know it, but you still have a divine relationship with Jesus, you ought to give him 30 seconds of praise right here. See, if you don't like you, if you don't like you, and you think God doesn't like you, how are you going to get out? Kenneth Copeland says this, and I quote, No one 
has ever been condemned into change. The fullness of God. And yet, so many Christians have a steady diet of condemnation. So how do I stop taking condemnation? How do I stop taking it into my spirit? I'm glad you asked. You stop taking condemnation by changing what you project in your environment. It's what the Bible calls a guilty conscience. Let me explain. Your environment is a direct reflection of what is going on in your heart. You are sending out signals every day by what you think, by what you feel, and by what you believe. Have you been in someone's presence and they just make you feel better? You've also been in someone's presence and they make you feel worse. It's based upon what they're projecting from the inside to the outside. And some people have what I'm going to call an overactive conscience. God gave us a conscience to guide us in what is right and what is morally good. The Bible talks about searing your conscience. The Bible talks about serving God with a clear conscience. God gave you a conscience to guide you in what is right and what is morally good. But an overactive conscience begins to project guilt and condemnation into your environment. How many of you ever been to someone's house and there's just a depressive atmosphere when you walk in it? They got all the lights off. They turned on a light since 1992. You think you walked into Herman Munster's house, cobwebs all over the wall. Come on in here. Uh, it's a depressive attitude. It's a depressive environment, a depressive atmosphere. That is coming from somewhere. Nobody talking to one another. Or maybe you've been into another home where everybody yells at everybody all the time. It, okay, now I got somewhere, didn't I? Ugh. I'm getting somewhere with you. Everybody yelling, everybody screaming all the time. Screaming at the kids. Kids screaming at the parents. Kids screaming with other kids. Everybody yelling at the dog. Fighting. Strife. It's an atmosphere that's coming from somewhere. It's coming from what you're projecting from your heart. Talk back to me if you can. It's coming from somewhere deep inside. But here's the good news. If you're projecting a wrong atmosphere, you can start projecting a right one. Just as easily as you've made an atmosphere of guilt and condemnation, you can make an atmosphere of freedom and joy in the Holy Ghost. Just as you've projected an atmosphere of hating your life and hating where you're at and wishing you were somewhere else, all by making a decision, turning on a different switch on the inside. You can say, God, I thank you. I may not know where I'm going, but I know that I'm in the palm of your hand and I'm going to rejoice and have joy and happiness in my house, in my family, with my children. And I'm not living another day hating my life. From this day forward, I'm going to enjoy my my life, I'm going to be happy in my life and I'm going to create a new environment. Some of you need to hear what I'm saying. You need to create a new environment in your house. You need to shut the television off and you need to put some praise music in your house. 
Oh yeah, music changes the atmosphere. Don't you remember when Saul, the troubling spirit came upon Saul that they sent for David and all he had to do was play in the presence of the king and the distressing spirit left Saul. Why? Because even music, it changes the atmosphere. Some of you need to tell your kids to get off the iPad. Preach to me if you can. I'm I'm going right where you're at. Amen. Yeah, and you need to uh, uh, let them go outside a little bit and get dirty a little bit and get muddy a little bit and skin their knee up a little bit uh, and learn. Because listen, it's an environment that you're creating. Mm-hmm. Part of the reason you hate when you go home is because everybody is on your nerves. Well, I feel the Lord stretching out in me. And that's because everybody is around everybody all of the time. But you can change that environment. You can make a decision today that when we come home, our environment's going to be different. The environment in our family's going to be different. We're going to have an environment of happiness. And if you don't like what we're cooking, it's okay. You can starve to death, but you're going to be happy eating what we put on your plate. So it's just as easy to not take condemnation as it is to take it. But you have a part to play in it. You have to refuse to accept it. Starting today, no more condemnation for you. Are you in Christ Jesus? If you are, slip your right hand in the air if you're in Christ Jesus. And you know it. Put your hand down. Then for you, there's no condemnation. Those are not Jay's words. Those are Jesus' words. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why am I saying this? Because nothing complicates your life like condemnation. When you're under condemnation, it pressures you. It stops you from enjoying anything. It stops you from enjoying anything like we talked last week, even if somebody wants to bless you. You're wondering what hidden motive they have behind the blessing. You can't enjoy anything. See, condemnation confuses your spirit man because your spirit man was not made to operate in condemnation. Your spirit man was made to operate in the righteousness of God. It hinders your faith and hinders your worship. When you're condemned, depressed, to be pushed down. That's what the devil wants to do. He wants to push you down, make you feel inferior, make you feel like you uh, don't measure up, make you feel like you're not anything. Oh, you're going to be a Christian now. Oh, you're going to go raise your hands now when you done gave a bird to somebody on the way to church. That one finger is not a wave. (laughs) Oh, where am I at here? Let me get down to where I'm supposed to be. See, there's only two ways you can live with a clear conscience. Number one, you can do everything right all the time. Newsflash, that's not me. 
and I'm the pastor. So chances are that's not for you either. We're going to mess up. So the other way we can live with a clear conscience is that we are quick to confess our sins and receive the abundance of grace that is offered to us through Jesus Christ. See, if you're trying to live this Christian life in the law, you're going to constantly be frustrated because you cannot do it in the law. The book of James tells us that if you're under the law, if you offend in one part, it's like you've, you've broken all of it. There's 613 commands in the law. But James says if you break one part of it, it's like you've broken all 613 commands. I don't know about you, I can't be good enough to make it if it's about that. And neither can you. We'll never be good enough for God in ourself, in our flesh. We'll never be good enough so God took good out of the equation. Let me explain it this way. See that window over there on the side? If I was to take a BB gun and shoot that window, how many know that window would be cracked and have to be replaced? I could also take a brick and throw it through the window and the window would have to be replaced. It really doesn't matter if it was a BB or a brick. The window is broken. So it doesn't matter if you've kept 612 commandments and you shot a BB, you got to replace the window. So this is what James is saying. If 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 you break one commandment, well, all I did was shoot a BB. doesn't matter. The window has to be replaced. You're not righteous. Or you can throw a brick through it. It doesn't matter. The window has to be replaced. You're not righteous. So here's what God does. He says, I'm going to take good completely out of the equation. It's not going to be about being good. It's going to be about being forgiven. I'm going to take the goodness out because how good do you have to be to be good enough for God? Well, you have to be perfect. And I don't know about you. Look around the room. None of us are perfect. And your hairdo said amen. None of us are perfect. And so, and even your hair do say an amen to me this morning. And so we have to operate by a different system. We operate by the grace of Almighty God. See, if we put off repentance another day, we have a day more to repent of and a day less to repent, repent in. See, St. Augustine said, he who created you without you will not justify you without you. Translation, you have a part to play in your happiness. How many want to be happy in the presence of God? How many are tired of living a guilty life and a condemning life? And what would it be like just to be in his presence knowing he loves you no matter what? Well, then this sermon is for you. Let me give you your key concept this morning. Happy are those who have no guilt, no regret, and a clear conscience. The text says, be found in him, not having my own righteousness which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Jesus Christ. 
The text goes on to say what happens for those whose guilt has been forgiven, what joys when sins are covered over, what relief for those who have confessed their sins to God and have cleared their record. How many want their record to be clear? How does that happen? What's the one thing that you need in life? What's the one thing that will make you happy? It's not a house. It's not a car. It's not a person. It's not how much money you have in the bank. It's not a career. It's not a degree. What is the one thing that will make you happy? The grace of God. What is the grace of God? Write this down if you're taking notes. The grace of God is the power of the Holy Spirit offered to us free of charge. Enabling us to do with ease what we could never do alone with any amount of struggle or effort on our part. That's good. I'm going to say it again. Grace is the power of the Holy Spirit offered to us free of charge, enabling us to do with ease what we could never do alone with any amount of struggle or effort on our part. And God never runs out of grace. There is a covering element of grace, and I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that God covers a multitude of sins. There is a covering element to grace, but grace is more than just a band-aid over sin. Grace is the power of the Holy Spirit to, to have the ability on the inside to obey Him. Go to James chapter 4 if you have your Bible. James chapter 4. Am I the only one hot in here? Open a window or two. Lord Jesus. James chapter 4 verse 6. But he God gives us more and more grace. The power of the Holy Spirit to meet this evil tendency and all others fully. Now that's in the Amplified Translation. What is the grace of God? It is the power of the Holy Spirit to meet any evil tendency you have completely and fully. That is why he says God sets himself against the proud and haughty but gives grace continually to the lowly, those who are humble enough to receive it. You have to be humble enough to receive God's grace. If you think you can do it on your own, the Bible says God resists you. God will resist that. But if you are humble enough to say, God, I can't do this on my own. I need your help. That's when the power begins to flow in your life. Say amen to that. So point number one, you are happy. You are happy when you have no guilt. Guilt lives as bondage, hear me, but operates like a habit. What do I mean by that? I mean, guilt is bondage for the Christian, but it lives like a habit. You have to break the cycle of guilt. This is normally how it works in most Christians' lives. They sin. They spend a day or two beating themselves up for the mistake that they made, feeling guilty about it. Then they'll ask God eventually for forgiveness for it. Go another day, sin again, go through a day or two of guilt, finally ask God for forgiveness. How many know what I'm talking about? 
just feeling guilty all the time. Guilty that you don't measure up. God wants you to be done with that this morning. I said, God wants you to be done with that this morning. You are happy when you have no guilt. And that's actually what condemnation means. It means a guilty verdict. There is no guilt for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? You may feel guilty because you want to pay for your sins. You really need to be careful here because we can't add to the finished work of the cross. Technically speaking, that's blasphemous. They think you could add something to the work of Jesus Christ. You can't do it. You feel guilty because you get attention from others when you're down in the dumps. Come on, I know what I'm talking about here. You acting, don't make me come out there and get you. You acting like you ain't hearing what I'm saying this morning. You feel guilty because you want other people to give you some attention. Because, you know, at least it's some attention. It may be bad, but it's, at least it's, it's something. We need to get out all of that. I said we need to get out all of that. Come on, clap your hands if you're hearing me. I lost some of you when they opened the windows up, didn't I? <laughs> we feel guilty because many times we focus on our past more than our future. Because our past is familiar to us. And misery loves company. Get ready the day you say, I'm not going to feel guilty in my life one more day. Get ready to lose some friends. Get ready to lose some people in your life who want you to stay miserable. Romans 8 and 1, one more time, see it again. There is therefore now no condemnation, no adjudging guilty of wrong for those who are in Christ Jesus. No more guilt. You need to kick guilt out of the driver's seat of your life. You need to stop letting guilt drive your life. Well, but pastor, I really messed up. You don't know what I did. I, I lost years of my life. How is feeling guilty about it changing it? It's only making you miserable here and now. You can't go in your past and fix what happened. The mistakes you made, the years you lost, the divorce that happened. It's time to get over it. I said it's time to get over it. By the Holy Ghost, we're going to get over it. Come on, give God a praise for it. Amen. Number two, you're happy when you have no regrets. Live your life in such a way that your days are filled with hope instead of your nights filled with regret. Regret is feeling sad or disappointed over something that has happened or has been done, especially a loss or missed opportunity. Listen, we all have had missed opportunities. We've all had bad seasons in our life. You have to make a decision to stop living in, your, in regret. Blaming yourself will never create a brighter future. Here's what Isaiah 43 and 18 says. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing, and it shall spring forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. He says, I want you to stop looking at old things. I'm doing a brand new thing. And God wants to do a brand new thing in your life. You're coming into a new season. Say amen to that. Action is the only remedy 
for regret. The only way to get over regret is to start doing something. And you might as, start doing, might, might as well start doing it this morning. I'm going to start doing something great for God. Come on, give God a praise if you believe it. Number three, you are happy when you have a clear conscience. First John chapter 3 and 19 says this, And by this we know that we are of the truth, and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater. If our heart condemns us, God is greater. You're missing it. If our heart condemns us, if we have a guilty conscience, if we're struggling on the inside, do I really measure up? God is greater. God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Aren't you glad? Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and 13 in the New Living Translation says, Timothy, I thank God for you, the God I serve with a clear conscience. Acts 24, 15, having the same hope in God, which they themselves hold and look for, that there is to be a resurrection both of the righteous and the unrighteous, the just and the unjust. This is Paul giving his dissertation to Felix. Verse 16, he says, Therefore I always exercise and discipline myself, mortifying my body, deadening my carnal affections, bodily appetites, worldly desires, endeavoring in all respects to, respects to have a clear conscience. A clear conscience is a conscience that relies on the grace of God to bring his will to pass in your life. One cannot live for Christ without Christ. So how do I clear my conscience? Number one, confession. I'm only going to keep you a few more minutes. Confession. Confession means to say the same thing as. Confession is not necessarily, I'm sorry, Jesus, I got caught. Confession is saying the same thing as is saying, this is sin and God, I call it sin because your word says it's sin. I'm going to confess this now to the Lord. Amen? Amen. Confession is going to God with your sins and admit it was wrong and ask him for forgiveness. Confession is not necessarily to be forgiven by God because you're already forgiven, 1 John 2, 12. Confession is to cleanse your conscience from dead works so you can serve the living God. And I know some of them say, yes, Pastor, what about 1 John 1, 9? I ain't got time. I ain't got time. We'll deal with it another day. What it means is when I miss it and I know that I miss it, I'm not going to hide from God. I'm going to live the happy life. Did you, what happened when Adam and Eve sinned? Adam and Eve sinned and what they do? They hid from the presence of God. The moment sin entered, they left. And how many of us are doing that today? We've messed up and we're hiding instead of coming to God to cleanse our conscience. If you want to be happy, confess your sins to God and do it quickly. I just made my mind up. I'm not going to walk another day 
two days a week with a guilty conscience when I can confess it. Hebrews 10 and 22, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You know what he's saying? You know how you clean your evil conscience? You wash yourself with pure water. How do I do that? I confess my sins to the Lord. Number two, I repent. Repentance is different than confession. Confession is saying the same thing as God. Repentance means do a 180 and walk away from it. The term repentance means to change the way you think. And it's really when we get to repentance that our lives really change. It's when we get to repentance that we begin to bear fruit unto God. Jesus said, bear fruit worthy of repentance. So if I mess up, if I sin, I confess it to God and I receive forgiveness. But there's a big difference between doing that and actually repenting of it where you walk away from it and you're not doing it anymore. But what's awesome is the grace of God is on us that even if we're in the confession stage where we sin and we mess up and then we go back to it again and go back to it again and go back to it again. Come on, don't act like you've only sinned one time in your whole life. You know you have that one thing. Superman has some kryptonite that you can still be cleansed through the power of confession. But I'm telling you, if you do that long enough and you d- develop yourself in the Word of God, shut that window, you're freezing my mama. And, and you start, uh, uh, you, 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 you are in uh, the things of God, in the kingdom of God, and you're, praise God, in the Word of God, you will begin to grow to the place where you no longer have a desire to do the old thing. You are in a place of repentance. And now you can walk free. Number three, you have to walk in obedience. You have to walk in obedience. How do I clean my conscience? Obedience. We can't get away from obedience. Grace doesn't mean that we don't obey God. Grace gives us the power to obey God. Say amen to that. Psalms 119, watch this scripture. How can a young person stay pure? By obeying the word. How can you keep yourself clean? (coughs) Obeying God's word. So I've got confession, repentance, ultimately obedience. And when you do that, you will have no condemnation. You will have no regrets. And you will have a clear conscience. And that's the one thing you need. To be happy. Stand your feet with me, please. I really believe you can go through anything in life if you know that God is for you and He's not against you. I believe at the end of the day, knowing that God loves you. Can, can, can give you the fortitude, the strength, and the faith to begin to enjoy your life today. The whole premise of this sermon was you cannot be happy if you think God is mad at you. 
God is not mad at you. He spent his anger at the cross. He turned his back on Jesus. So he doesn't have to turn his back on you. And if you're thankful for the grace of God, I want you right now to throw both of your hands in the air and take 30 seconds and thank the Lord that he's been gracious to you, that the grace of God has been for you. Even when you didn't deserve it,